Okay, lucky episode number 13 presented by Rally. I do a pretty descriptive intro for a lot of people who come on the show, but in this case, the name of the guest and the name of the brand is synonymous. This week, we welcome Ken Golden, the founder of Golden Auctions, and really one of the reasons that collecting cards and memorabilia went mainstream. So I met Ken when we first started Rally, and aside from being a human encyclopedia of sports and collecting knowledge, he's been one of those guys that's just right a lot when it comes to the direction of the market and the pockets of collecting that are on the cusp of reaching those new heights with collectors. His auctions are also some of the most successful in history, and he set more world records than we can even get into the show. Most recently, this week, he set a new world record for the most expensive card ever sold, a 1909 Honus Wagner T206 card, one of the grails of collecting, which he sold for $7.25 million, a number that's never been reached before. We touch on that here, amongst other things, including the future of collecting, Drake's personal collection, and Ken's new show coming to Netflix very, very soon. As always, as a disclaimer, nothing on this episode should be considered financial advice. You shouldn't make any decision based on any of the information presented here. In full transparency, Ken does hold equity in Rally, so the disclaimer is even more important in this particular episode. And with that, episode 13 of The Best Money I Ever Spent, presented by Rally, with a guy who was always on and always seeing what's coming around the turn in sports collecting and investing, Mr. Ken Golden. And Golden, what's up, man? Great to see you again, as always, my friend. Good to see you, Rob. How's it hanging? It's hanging, man. It's going all right. It's going all right. I think uh, things are probably better on your end. I think there's a, there's been a lot of news. I want to start there. I guess um, starting with the current biggest news in collecting, you set another world record. So you announced it this week, a uh, $7.25 million sale of a T206 Honus Wagner card, the current world record for the most expensive card ever sold. The story of that card's epic. Obviously, you know it. You know one of around fifty or so that exist. We have yep. one on uh, one on rally that you you helped get us years ago. Trading right now at one point eight million, I believe, from a five hundred twenty five thousand dollar IPO. But for anyone that doesn't understand what this card is and the magnitude of this sale that you just made, give a bit of background if you can. Sure. I mean, the important thing is not really that Honus Wagner set another record because they always set records. I think what's important is that this is a grade of a two that now stands as the most valuable trading card of all time, at least as of the date we're recording, the most valuable card trading card of all time. There might be another one coming um, ending in a few weeks that might beat it, but not a Wagner. Um, so the story of the Honus Wagner, of course, um, you've got the T206 set issued in 1909 uh, in stuck in cigarette packs and the most popular set of all time four four out of the five first ever players into the baseball hall of fame ty cobb walter johnson christy matheson and of course honus wagner appear in the set the fifth of course being babe ruth they make tens of thousands of everybody's card and before they go to production honus wagner has his card pulled is it because he didn't want to promote tobacco to young kids which is the you know the great story. That's the, yeah, that's the urban legend, of course. Yeah. Yeah, and or is it the fact that hey, he, he wanted to get paid? Either way, it is it is verified that they pulled his card. It's verified that they actually uh, sent him an uncut proof sheet of him and four other cards, one of which was Cy Young, to show that his card's been removed from production. However, you know maybe about two hundred were printed, maybe about. You know, 175, 150 got out somehow, and today less than 50 are known and authenticated. Uh, this card 
sold in 2006, I believe, for around $300,000 off the top of my head originally. Hmm. And now, uh, 16 years later, going up um, over 20 times in value. Um, to put this in perspective as well, last year around this time, we sold a PSA 2 Wagner for $3.66 million. So this was double that price in a year, which just shows the strength of the Honus Wagner market, the strength of the vintage sports card market, as well as the fact when you have the you know have one of these ultimate rarities that it's really being being considered like a Van Gogh or a Picasso as opposed to a uh, a sports card. It's the only asset I know of the Honus Wagner where that every single one that is transacted, the next time that exact same copy is sold has gone for more money. I can't think of anything whether it's a stock, gold, painting memorabilia that, that you can say the same thing about. No, nah, it, de it definitely has that title. And it's got that thing when you hold it in your hands and we've had this conversation before, it doesn't feel like a, like a baseball card. It feels like something that is almost more important. I don't want to say it like that, but when you think about that card and it's never ever sold for less than the previous sale of that card, how do you compare something like that to a, a Mickey Mantle card? Let's say a, Mickey, a 1952 Mickey Mantle rookie, which has that same allure. It's still one of those cards that people look at as kind of a benchmark for the hobby. How do you yep. compare those two? Or is there a comparison that could even be made? Well, you, you, you can compare them. You know, the mantle is a rarity based on its condition. Okay, like there's three PSA 10s. Um, I believe there's uh, five PSA 9s. So that's what makes it really rare. Finding them in any condition really of a seven or better is, is the true rarity. However, the difference is that if you add up every single Mickey Mantle that exists in the world today, 52 tops, the ungraded ones and from an authentic all the way to a 10, you've got thousands of that card out there. You know, the Wagner, you don't. So there have been sales of the Mantle where, and also each of the grades are a little bit different. So you have been sales of a Mantle, you know, you have an eight at over 2 million, then you have an eight at 1.4 million. Um, so it can ebb and flow because the supply is much larger. Um, the Wagner is really the most exclusive club and because I know where most of them lie, I can tell you, even though there may be in the forties existing in the world, mm -hmm. that they're in the thirties of the individuals that actually own one. It's crazy. That's for anyone that doesn't know. I mean, most people do, but Ken knows where all the bodies are buried. So I think <laughs> that there's going back in time a little bit. It's a good segue right now. You know, the current news aside, you're going to set a million more mm -hmm. records over the course of the next few years. That's a given. Mm -hmm. I want to go back a bit. And for those that have been following along right now, we're talking to celebrity Ken Golden. And this is a Ken Golden. That's the, the new version of Ken Golden. I was to give a quick story. I was with you in L.A. at the ESPYs a couple of weeks ago. Um, this is a true story. We're walking in. It's me, you, Brent Montgomery from Wheelhouse. Um, in front of us, I think, was was Russell Wilson and Sierra, a few a few people up behind us were uh, Terrell Owens and Lil Wayne this young usher grabbed you on the way in and said, it's Ken Golden, like grabbed your arm. Dead serious. That actually happened. But that's like Ken now. But you've been doing yeah. this. You've been doing this in the card and memorabilia space for a really, really long time. I want to go back to the 11 year old Ken Golden. Explain mm -hmm. a bit, if you can, how this kid that's selling cards and kind of in the hobby, got one foot in, turns mm -hmm. into one of the most successful auction businesses in the world. What was the what was the trajectory to get there? Uh, I mean, I started out just collecting cards and doing other stuff, playing sports, collecting cards, uh, collecting um, electric uh, trains, electric race cars, which were popular back then. And then my business mind came in when I was 12 
a friend of mine was over my house with a couple other friends and we were using my electric race car track set, which was you know, revolution back then. And he said, I really like this. So, you know, is there anything I have that you can, we can trade? So I traded him my electric car set, which my parents probably bought for about 25 bucks at the store back then for his entire sports card collection. Um, and he brought them all over my house and we packed up my, and, and, and I spent probably two months sorting it all because his was significantly bigger than mine. And I said, okay, I've got, got these sorted and what do I do with them? And then, you know, I, I, the next big thing about a couple months later, I was at a flea market and my father and I were in a flea market. He used to drag me around all the time to do, to look for cards. So we were at one of these booths that had, you know, they made all, all this garb, all this type of stuff, but they had a little section of cards and, you know, some like 18, 19 year old kid walks in and say, Hey, do you buy cards? And the guy says, yes. And uh, keep in mind, no internet, no yeah, cell phone. Yeah, it's a different era. This is a different no, era. No, no really price find guys. It. There, there, were, there were no price guides. So it's not okay. like somebody can look up online a price guide. There was not even. And no bet- grading, no grading yeah, either. No, so. no grading. No grading. There, the annual price guide had not been published yet. That that annual price guide first came out, I believe, in 1980. So you know, this is you know, this had not been published. This is 1979, and um, the guy said, "Well, I'm, I'm a little busy now. Can you come back on Tuesday?" And I, the guy walked away, but said to himself um, that, "You know, well, I'm, I'm going to be shipping off tomorrow. I won't be here Tuesday." And I said. Hit my dad. I said, follow him, follow him. So we followed the guy literally out to the parking lot, and I yelled, being that I hadn't hit puberty yet, in a little squeaky voice, um, you know, hey, can I see your cards? So we took her, took us to you know, this car and opened up this, you know, big, you know, big giant car with big giant trucks they used to have in the back in the day. The gas guzzlers got eight miles a gallon. And he had about six garbage bags, like hefty full trash can size, all jammed with cards. No plastic pages, no shoebox, just stuffed, stuffed in there, stuffing and stuffing and stuffing. And I said, what do you want for them? He said, $100. Get hit my dad again. Pay him, pay him, pay him. <laughs> my dad opened up his wallet. Um, he had literally about you know, $68 to $70 in there. I took the money out of my hand and said, here, will you take this? The guy agreed to take it. My dad backed his car up. We loaded the hefty bags into the car. Drove home. I carried it in the basement. I don't think a member of my family probably saw me for three months because I <laughs> spent all my time in the basement sorting through these, going out and making complete sets and figuring out what I'm missing and taking a notebook, writing all the notes down. And so the, the best of each card went into one pile and all the duplicates went in another. So I said, okay, fine. I've spent this money. I've got all these cards. I've got all these duplicates. What am I going to do with them? So that's how I found out, you know, in the back of the sporting news, there was a little classified ad for Sports Collector's Digest. I bought a copy, saw it was all advertising. I started selling cards. And that's what really got me uh, buying and selling cards literally from the time I was 13 to 17 years old as a little kid. I just placed ads in the classified section of my local newspapers and people brought me cards for cash. That's amazing. And that's, that's like a full circle moment. I feel like I watch, I watch videos of you and your son, Paul now, like, mm-hmm. you know, he's got his own PSA slabs and he's doing yep. breaks and I feel like it's this full circle thing. Do you see it? Does he see it kind of like as a business now in a way that you did when you were younger or is it something where he's doing it because he just loves being a part of it and he wants to sort of collect? Where do you see mm-hmm. that going right now? He, well, look, he's, he's, you know, he's literally, you know, turning nine on Saturday. So um, he's a little bit younger than I am. He's looking at it Paul loves sports and Paul loves statistics. So mm. anything that has statistics, he 
will, will format in his mind and he, he plays in my sports fantasy league so, he, so league. so he looks at the back of the cards. He sees what the guys do. He loves the young players. So he loves it for the players and he loves it for the autographs. Um, he understands when something's valuable. He understands, oh, a refractor is valuable and mm-hmm. autograph is valuable. A jersey card is valuable. That type of stuff. But, um, you know, he's, you know, he's like, he's held a Honus Wagner before. He's held the, the Mike Trout Superfractor. So he got all the good bit, stuff out of the way young. He understands yeah, what those yeah, things he's, are. He's a, little bit, he's a little bit desensitized, but he does not have, at this age, he doesn't have the business mind I had when I was 13. Yeah, I mean, that, the hustle is different because, I mean, back then, even for my generation, like, mm-hmm. you know, when the Becca Price guy came out, that was like an automatic, you wanted to go mm-hmm. down to whatever the local shop was, and you were still mm-hmm. kind of, lo- the, the idea of searching a PSA database didn't exist mm-hmm. back then, obviously. Yeah. And now it's a it's a different world where a younger generation does think about it, whether it's a nine year old or a twenty five year old, they think about statistics and prices and they think about it a little bit more commoditized. So that's kind of like fast forwarding to now, the current state of the auction and the collectibles market overall. This is an investment class now, and it's one that I think a lot of big institutions and, and very deep pocketed buyers are getting into. And your clients are some of the most successful investors and celebrities and NFL team owners and these mm-hmm. names that you wouldn't necessarily look at as card collectors. But what do you think about the current state? So can the hobby and the young kid who just wants to open packs of cards with his friends, can that exist in the same world where it's commoditized and some people are just in it for the money? Do you think those two worlds are going to exist together or do you think they kind of merge right now? I I believe the two worlds can exist. Um, I think especially, look, especially with some of the changes that are taking place in the trading card business. Um, We saw recently an announcement that Topps is getting rid of their largest hobby distributor. And the purpose of that is that they want to be, yes, they want to make more money. Yes, they want to cut out the middleman. But realistically, if they're pricing a product and they're trying to make sure people can afford that product, they don't want secondary market conditions to let a middleman double, triple, or quadruple his money before it gets in the collector's hands. So I think that is at the initial phase and the retail level is going to keep prices down where kids can buy boxes and people can participate in breaks. And yes, the best of the best, a, a lot of the vintage and a small percentage of the modern. I say small percentage because it's obviously, it's always the autographs, it's always the jersey cards, it's always the limited edition numbered cards that you wanna get slabbed and, 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 and you know, sell yeah. for high dollars. Um, but I, I do think that those two worlds can connect. And what I'm really encouraged about is, you know, recently the, the National, um, it just continues to get younger i thought well maybe you know that 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 you know not a hundred percent of everything is up anymore and you've got the market down a little bit um you know crypto down a little bit perhaps you know there, there might be less people i think there was more people in atlantic city than chicago and the audience still continued to get younger yeah it's good to see the kids walking around with backpacks you know what i mean that's how you know yeah. like something's up when you see like the 12 year olds and 13 year olds that are really like out there searching for something it may it, it mm-hmm. makes you feel like you're young again when you see it happening with a new generation yep. I did. I saw the. I saw that tops announcement. I think the same way you did, where mm-hmm. cutting out a giant distributor, which is a real business, it looks on the surface like, you know, like this big company that now owns tops and owns all the licenses mm-hmm. is going to cut these people mm-hmm. out. But in my mind, that means you know working directly with the mom and pops type of shops. And I yep. think Josh Luber was talking about this a bit and a few others that mm-hmm. it could potentially be that renaissance for the small card shop, like when we were younger, that existed mm-hmm. on a Saturday. You go down there or go to the card table at the mall on yep. like a, a weekend with your friends. I don't know if you feel the same way, but it feels like that the opportunity for like the smaller businesses and you guys kind of lead the charge on like the high end and mm-hmm. all those world records and the stuff that brings new attention to headlines to the space. 
but it feels like a real opportunity for a small mom and pop's business to exist right now in a way that even five years ago, it couldn't. And I don't think that's just COVID. It feels like the, the manufacturers want that to be the case too. No, they, they do. And, and look, I had the pleasure of uh, taking a couple of meetings with, um, with Fanatics last week, um, you know, from the CEO down. And, you know, that definitely is, you know, what they're interested in. They're, they're the key word that they want to use is, you know, customer experience. You know, they want the customer experience to be a positive one. So if somebody's getting in and their, their first purchase is five times markup, it's going, you know, they, they may have a bad experience. So they want to make yeah. it available uh, and they want to make affordable. And yes, there's going to be products that come out at $10,000 a box. That's not meant for a 12-year-old kid unless yeah. you go back in time and it's a 12-year-old Ken Golden. Or Paul's using my credit card. Um, other than that... <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, it's it's meant for you know people who have that money and want to spend it. It makes sense. It makes sense. So on that note, talking a little bit about about Ken Golden's collection, the collection mm -hmm. that you see on a day to day. Mm -hmm. What in the personal collection? What's like the wild thing that you feel like uh, that people wouldn't know is in your collection that you're willing to talk about? Mm, I think what's unusual, you know, wild. Um, I don't know if anything's wild. I do a lot of modern. Um, and I have one of the world's best collection, I would say, of unopened boxes, probably from the 1970s to the present. Um, and people always seeing me open boxes from the 1990s to the present. Uh, so I would think that really something unusual that, that I collect is I love 19th century trading cards. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, like this. This is, so this is a, 18, it was put out in 1887. It's an N173 Old Judge cabinet. And a lot of people see the tiny Old Judge cards, which were, the, which were the predecessor of the T206 cards. But they rarely see the cabinets because these are very, very scarce. And this one happens to be a Hall of Famer. Uh, Dan Brothers, who I think batted 438 one season in the uh, 1890s. Uh, if my if my if my stats are gonna uh, Ken, not... for the record too, Ken's stats are always correct. And right now, <laughs> for anyone just listening, he's showing a card that is the equivalent of a uh, of of like a seven by nine uh, photo paper right now, but from the 19th century. Yeah. So you compare that to say in size. Let me give you. So this is a play ball, just to give you an idea of size. So to show to. To give sort of insight into what that what that that era of collecting means, you see a lot of younger kids kind of thinking about vintage now too. I think you're you're very responsible for a lot of that. I think bringing mm -hmm. vintage to the forefront and doing it in a way that feels way more entertaining than just mm -hmm. a couple of old guys trading a T206 card somewhere where you don't hear about it. Yeah. When you think about what's happening with the vintage stuff, when you see game used memorabilia, which wasn't mm -hmm. necessarily something mm -hmm. that a 25 year old would care about, somebody who was buying, mm -hmm. you know. John Morant rookie cards wasn't necessarily mm -hmm. thinking about game used bats or mm -hmm. uniforms, and that's becoming a conversation now. Where do mm -hmm. you see vintage fitting into the future for these young kids? What's the thing that you hold on to that you feel like uh, a 23 year old now would look at and say, like, oh, I really want that, even though it's mm -hmm. not a card? Well, I think first of all that anything game used, all all these people are going to get into, and we'll get into. And you know, I think the first thing you know, the first thing a lot of people get into is game used sneakers. I mean, it's a natural transition for sneaker collectors. We saw yeah. the display at the national of one of you know six different Jordan. You know, Jordan kept famously kept one sneaker from his final uh, yeah. final clinching game and gave it to the other one to a member of the Bulls, and the guy's displaying all six of them. Uh, we'll see if they ever come up for sale and where. Hopefully at Golden if they do. Um, 
but um, I think that the game used market for me, I've collected that for many years. I've always felt that was underappreciated. You always have people say to me, Ken, you sold this Logo Man card with a logo of LeBron James for $2.4 million. You know, I can buy the entire jersey for $75,000. Yeah, I, want, I was going to bring it up. I was going to wait till you brought it up. But the idea of a, of a one-inch swatch going for more money than in a clinch game jersey in full mm-hmm. seems crazy mm-hmm. to regular people. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, what it means is just the trading card people are more, uh, they would buy that. They're more, you know, they're more hedge fund types. They're more data-driven types. They like the comps. You know, it's graded by a third party. It's easily transportable. You can store it in a vault. You never have to touch it. You can fractionalize it, you know, all these type of things without ever owning the item or without, you know, it's easy to store. You know, a jersey or is, is bulky. You know, how do you show it off? Can it get damaged? You know, things like that. But I, I think that really changed last year when we had a 1996 Kobe Bryant jersey. And we thought, hey, if we can get over $250,000 for a game used Kobe jersey, you know, it would, it would be a record. The thing got $3.6 million. $3.6 million. And this is what happens on the game used market that does not happen on cards. You will never look. Listen, if a 52 tops Mickey Mantle, all the comps are been between 1.6 and $2 million for a PSA 8, there will never be a circumstance where the next PSA 8 goes off and it is $7 million. It just doesn't happen. That type of stuff can happen on memorabilia and game use because it's more emotional and it's typically people who are more buying it for themselves and buying it to own a piece of history to capture a moment in time that will never be repeated yeah that's the feel that i mean jordan is that thing for like my generation and the idea of Mm -hmm. having like a game worn pair of jordan 11s these patent leather sneakers which were this that was a phenomenon when that sneaker came out it changed sneaker culture and it changed the way that people thought about like it became mm-hmm. it became logical to spend you know $180 on a pair of Jordans if you had that money. Mm-hmm. I didn't, so I didn't buy them. But seeing them mm-hmm. on the kids around me was just like that aha moment. Seeing yep. those now from those from those really specific late 90s Jordan seasons mm-hmm. is something I just want to have. When you see it, you just want to have it. What do you have? What's the thing that you see regardless of how much it will cost that you just want to have? And it's something maybe you do have it now. But is there anything that you think about that has nothing to do with price? You just want it no matter what it is. And you're trying to collect those in bulk. Um, for me, I am a big sucker for the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, I grew up watching them. Uh, you know, would go to games with my dad. Um, you know, the Sixers, the Sixers in the same boat, but it was to, to a lesser extent back in the day. Um, mm. You know, they had that one great year, 82, 83, when they won the championship. Um, and, you know, me and my friends you know, wrote fake notes to school and we all left <laughs> to go to the parade uh, because I went to school in Center City, Philly. Um, but, um, you know, I, I saw at a auction house, they had a 1980 Phillies world series ring. Um, and I didn't care about it. And it was, it was Richie Ashburns who was the announcer at the time, one of their all time legends. So I said, you know, I, I don't care what it costs, whether it's $10,000 or $60,000, you know, I was going to own that because that was my team. Um, you know, things that come up like that of some of my childhood heroes, like, uh, Schmidt and Carlton. Um, I feel the same way too. So, so those are the things that I would get, um, you know, get emotional for, um, you know, one thing that I would love to have, I'd be obviously concerned about price would be a, um, a Babe Ruth game used Jersey, but, um, 
You know, I, you know, for, you know, people could say, well, you can buy it. Well, I don't, I don't want to spend the money now. Uh, maybe if, um, if I have significantly more cash in the bank uh, and it's a smaller part of my asset, then I would, then I would buy one. <laughs> yeah. You have no, th there are certain things that you can't not think about price. I think, a ba yeah. I think game one Babe Ruth is one of those things. Yeah. But I mean, it's also, you know, I was never a Phillies fan. Mm -hmm. But because I grew up in New York, obviously, mm -hmm. but there is something about like '80s era Phillies, like mm -hmm. that that blue zipper like jersey, yep. like that. I had a Larry Boa jersey when I was younger, like this vintage mm -hmm. throwback I got from uh, Mitchell and Ness on Walnut Street, actually. And I remember like I treated that like it was gold. Something about those mm -hmm. designs from back in the day too, and it's the ticket stubs and the jerseys. Nothing looks like that now, you know what I mean? So having yep. that piece from that's game used, but also from that era of design is really important to a lot of people too. Yep. So what do you think now, future of the hobby? We're talking about all these these really positive indicators. What do you think mm -hmm. personally the future looks like for sports collectibles in particular? What's just, what If someone new is coming into the hobby right now, they're not thinking about it in terms mm -hmm. of money, mm -hmm. but they want to get something where they can put some money into it and potentially make mm -hmm. money in the future. Where do you see new money and new collectors ending up? What do you think the future looks like for them? Um, I think that there's still some uh, still some up and down on a lot of the uh, the modern cards. Um, I think that for me, if you're looking strictly at sports cards, um, anything high grade 1979 and earlier, um, you know, I'd, I'd be all over. I mean, there's just such a limited supply and the supply is going to keep dwindling. Um, basketball had shot up and then it had, uh, you know, on shooting down. Uh, for me, I would probably wait until the start of the next basketball season. Um, and I think that it's OK, fine. It's been been drifting down a bit. Um, I think football is ready to pop. Uh, you know, we've had some really nice prices on some items that really uh, surprised me. And, you know, I think baseball has never really participated in the drastic price movement yeah, at, crazy run. As, as basketball and football. So I always have felt that baseball has been undervalued for modern baseball. And in terms of categories, um, look, I, I think that Game used memorabilia is, you know, really where cards were in 2019. Uh, people were discovering it. It was becoming more popular. It was becoming more widely held. And I feel that there's a lot of, um, you know, upside in, you know, all the, all the legends. I mean, look, who would not want to own a game used Michael Jordan jersey? Who would not want to own a game used Kobe Bryant jersey? Who would not want to own a legendary pair of game used, uh, you know, Jordans? So and, these, and the, new kids think about like a, a game worn Steph Curry, like for a new generation yeah, exactly. looks at these heroes now, you know? Exactly. You know, you, you, you can pick all those guys. You can pick Curry. Of course, you can pick uh, you can pick LeBron. You can pick John Morant. Um, any one of those guys. Um, those are the types of things that uh, people are going to be looking at. And those are the types of things that are not created by a manufacturer deciding deciding how many to print. You know, it's not it's not artificial scarcity it's actual scarcity well it's, it's all one of one too it's something that mm -hmm. represents a moment it represents a player and they're not going to recreate it when you have one you have the only one and that's something that's a little bit different sometimes when it comes to cards correct yeah so then speaking on the future the future of golden now so mm -hmm. you know the tv version of ken golden is mm -hmm. going to be uh we'll call it second half of the year or next yep. year whatever it's going to be i have no mm -hmm. no idea but i'll put that out there you've mm -hmm. talked about it so people know yep. what the show is going on netflix it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the next world record will probably come at a certain point. Where are you guys looking right now in terms of sort of like that white space that you want to be in that you're not right now? What does the second half of the year look like for Golden? 
Well, one one thing we're really doing with Golden is uh, is we're trying to really broaden out our horizons. You know, we've been known as you know the Rolls Royce or Tiffany of the collectible world. So we're really doing two things. Number one is we are going to be launching uh, weekly auctions that will be um, you know have focus on lower prices, primarily under five thousand uh, dollars. So that people, you know, some somebody has something for four hundred dollars, they thought, well, Golden would never be interested in it. Now we've got a space for that. Um, you know, the collector's vault is open and they're going to be going online with us to, you know, for people who have stuff in the vault, we'll be able to list it. So we'll have a fixed price. But the other thing is we're really broadening out our horizons. You know, for example, uh, we saw the comic book market become about two years behind the trading card market. So, you know, we're running now, uh, we're going to be running monthly. We've been doing sporadically, but we're going to be running monthly auctions for comics TCG, which for those who do not know what that is, trading card games, that's Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic the Gathering, things like that, uh, MetaZoo, um, and more, um, as well as uh, video games. So we're going to be doing elite auctions with high-end stuff like that once every two or three months, and we're going to be doing monthly auctions with that. But we also, you know, look, the world of collectibles has a lot of things. I mean, to me, how is a handwritten Benjamin Franklin letter from 1781 or 1774, so criminally undervalued. How is a document signed by the first president of the United States, like George Washington? All those things, you know, you know, space exploration. You've seen it that anything that's historic, I think that it's um, it's undervalued, and, and I think that that people it's it's not appreciated. Um, there were a couple people that said to me, you know, they said, hey, Ken, you know, you caused the modern trading card boom when we sold that Mike Trout red for nine hundred thousand dollars. It's, sold- it's hard to disagree with that. It's hard yeah. to disagree with that. Yeah. yeah. We sold the first LeBron James. Remember, the record for a basketball card was four hundred fifty thousand dollars. And it was a PSA 10 Alcindor rookie, which was a one of one. And by we the saw- way, that wasn't that you're talking about less than half a decade ago. Basically, you're not talking about that long ago. No, we're talking about January 2020. Uh, Pre-COVID, we announced the sale of a LeBron James card printed in 2003 for $900,000. And that really got a lot of people's attention and sparked the modern card. So a lot of people say, hey, you know, people have tried to front run and say, hey, let me know what Golden's getting into, what you're looking at, because I'm going to try to go out and buy it because the marketing machine that, that we are or, or, or that I am, uh, if I'm going to tap my own, tap my own horn. Um, I'll agree no, with it. Absolutely. We, we, um, look, we look. We do a lot on social. I'm on newscasts all the time. I literally had you know two two newscasts uh, prior to uh, hopping on with you um, about the Wagner and about the business. And uh, you know, I think as we get into it, you know, we have hundreds of thousands of people on our email list. You look at you look at Golden and you look at PSA, for example. So we've got two and a half million customers combined. You know, we send out something, we send it out to everybody. Um, then you have to look and say, okay, fine. What is Netflix? What is what is the potential there? Well, Netflix is in every country in the world. They've global. Got a potential, yeah, global. Potential 750 million people that can watch. Um, my show called The Golden Touch is focusing on collectibles and is being dubbed into 42 languages. So I will be speaking Chinese. I will be speaking Japanese. I will be speaking Arabic, French. I'm everything. excited to see that version of Ken. The, I, I, the, I multi, the multilingual I, version of Ken. I have told them that I went some sort of way to I can download 
my, the episodes in all 42 languages just because one day if I get my kick, you know, um, I'm, I'm going to see, you know, watch myself in, you know, speaking Russian, you know, whatever, whatever the case, obviously it's all dubbed. But so on there, we focus on international, which means we bring in F1, you know, we, we bring in tennis, we bring in golf, we bring in soccer, of course, the world's most popular sport. I mean, F1 and soccer worldwide, I, people who have seen snippets, you know, you know, snippets preview, um, that they, you know, they involve, involved in the production of the show, you know, they think that this is going to, you know, cause like a, a, a massive gold rush, people looking for their addicts, people wanting to get in collectibles because we're really, it's, it's about all collectibles. It is not a sports card show. It is about all collectibles. Yeah. And that spectrum is really going to cost, you know, really going to shine a spotlight on so many different individuals and so many areas of the, um, of the collecting hobby. I think it's going to really, you know, have a, um, have a boom in many areas of collecting. Yeah, and ha having a little bit of inside information, having seen a little bit of it, I can say that the people and the personalities and the celebrities that you've brought to sort of the table to be a part of this, mm -hmm. they're not they're not names that you would automatically associate with collecting. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, a lot of them are superstars in their own yep. right in a different Correct. space. So it opens up the door and shows you that, you know, there's always a one degree of separation to a collector. Anybody mm -hmm. that you talk to, if you bring up any of the stuff that golden's auctioned over the years or any of the game use stuff mm -hmm. there's always like if it's not that person they're like oh i know somebody that collects i know somebody that buys these cards at auction i know it's that idea is going to come to life i think it has the opportunity to really broaden the horizons of regular people of people who look at this as this subculture and don't realize how big it actually is so that's that's part of why i'm excited to see it i think a lot of people yep. are going to realize that when they see it too yep. So we typically end with a couple of quick questions. I want sure. to sort of get these. These are questions I, I don't think I've ever had a chance to ask you these, and I've had a few of these on deck for a while. Okay. But I want to start with what's the most unexpected auction result from a golden auction, good or bad, over the years? Uh, for me, honestly, it, it, it would probably – look, it, I think it has to be that Kobe Bryant jersey, only because yeah. it was such an industry-changing event. It kicked we, everything we, off. It's true. Yeah, we we literally we literally expected it to do two hundred fifty thousand, and we felt if we can do close to five hundred, we would really be able to boost the market. We thought if we could do close to five hundred, we would boost the gaming's market. It did three point six million dollars. So <laughs> that is probably the most significant impact. Um, therefore, the most unusual and important item that we, you know, even we've ever sold. Makes sense. makes sense. Then on that same note, similar, what's the, the celeb or like the person of, of note that people, regular people would be shocked to know that they're a collector and a huge collector at that? Well, people wouldn't be shocked because a lot of people probably saw me, you know, have seen at least something. If not, they'll Google it. Uh, Ken Golden and Drake um, opening up uh, basketball cards together. But uh, Drake, you know, I met him because he was, uh, you know, buying items from me, uh, you know, typically uh, jerseys, game used and unautographed, and, but also, um, you know, some hip hop stuff like uh, Tupac Shakur items. What I will tell you is in terms of sports, a tremendous, and this is, this is something nobody would know, a tremendous number of professional athletes collect cards. Um, the highest aggregation would be MLB players. And the lowest aggregation, at least to my knowledge right now, would probably be hockey players. You know, not many of them, um, 
except for Gretzky, who I know, um, you know, save their own stuff or save other people's stuff. But there are a lot of athletes and some of them go out and buy their own cards, really making it doubling down on their bet that I'm going to play well and, and my stuff's going to go up. Yeah. And anybody to speak on Gretzky, his cards aside, uh, Google, anyone who listens to this, Google Wayne Gretzky and, and Honus Wagner, you'll get a really good story if you haven't heard it before. Yep. Then the last question, the best investment, best money you've ever spent. It could be anything collectible or otherwise. Where'd your money go and what was the return? Um, you know, I can come up with a card. I can come up with an item I bought as a little kid, like a Tito 6 Ty Cobb when they were a dollar a piece. But I would have to say the best money I ever spent or invested was probably on myself. Uh, putting I started Golden with $100,000 of my own money. No bank loan, no debt. And um, today we will have over $400 million in sales. That's the best answer we could get, man. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to. I'm glad that you went that direction because I know you could pull anything out of your collection and say it's this and talk about yeah. crazy, you know, five and six digit returns percentage wise. But it's anybody who wants to know a little bit about Ken, this is somebody who for the last, you know, 50 years basically has lived this. And he's not somebody who's a tourist who came in to make some money. He's been building this for a long time. Everybody's just seeing like the last three or four years for a lot of yep. casuals coming in. But uh, thank you for coming on and super, super happy that we met. We we're able to sort of connect on so much stuff related to rally, related to what you're doing. Yep. Uh, shout out to Ryan Shipman for the original intro too. Yeah, there you uh, go. A very, very serendipitous meeting really early on. But Ken, thank you so much for coming on. Sincerely appreciate it. Looking forward to the next world record from Ken Golden of Golden Auctions. Thanks. Thank you, Rob. So that was number 13 in the books, Ken Golden of Golden Auctions. He's a character for sure, but he's also one of the good guys. And there are a lot of incredible pieces, not just sports cards and memorabilia, that are going to be part of the Golden Auction slate over the next six months. It's definitely worth a look, even if you aren't buying. It's always a good barometer for the market. You always see a lot of great stuff. And as soon as Ken's new Netflix show drops, I have a feeling that those auctions are going to be on another level. Speaking of assets outside of just the sports arena, this week on Rally, we've got a couple of really unique pieces that are kind of one of one or one of very few. The first of which is the 1857 Ship of Gold coin, which IPOs on Tuesday. So the story is nuts. In 1857, a ship going from Panama to New York sank in a hurricane off the coast of North Carolina. There was $1.6 million worth of gold on board that ship that was thought to be lost forever. Then 130 years later, the ship was found and with it, this coin, which opens at $5 per share, $25,000 total value on August 9th at noon Eastern time. Then the grail that we spoke about on the show, the Honus Wagner card, currently trading on Rally. At the time of this broadcast, it's trading at $180 per share, which represents a $1.8 million value. So ours is graded A for authentic. It's up just under 250% since its 2019 IPO. Shares are available via bid-ask trading in the Rally secondary market right now. Finally, as a reminder, do not listen to me or anyone for investment advice. Always do your own research and be sure to read the disclaimer on rallyroad.com, rallyrd.com for making any investment. All investments involve risk. These are no different. Past performance is never an indication of future performance. I'm Rob Petrozo. I'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. But until then, you can find us on rallyroad.com, 
at rally on Instagram and at on rally RD on Twitter. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything in between. See you soon.